was like, if I'm going to make some parent friends who have kids and like, they'll want to schedule with me because they could maybe have sex with me. Like, and that'll make them like more motivated to like make it work. <laughs> Literally, that was my thinking. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 98. We're Finn and Emma. I keep waiting for you to interrupt me. Right? No. <laughs> only only six away from 100. Can't do math. That was a joke. Yeah, good joke. I know. Today, what do we have? We're live from sunny California. We are. We've been getting swole out here. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've been down at Muscle Beach in Venice. No, you haven't. <laughs> you can't tell? <laughs> You're just full of lies. <laughs> Who are we talking to today? Libby. Libby Sinbach. Friend, yeah. friend of the show and, as of yesterday, fellow podcaster. Yes, Libby is a relationship coach and educator, and she started her own podcast as of yesterday, and her podcast is called Making Polyamory Work. But we met her back in June, long before she was a podcaster, <laughs> uh, at Atlanta Poly Weekend, and got to know her a little bit, and she's kick-ass. Uh, she's got tons of awesome stuff. She goes through her whole story today. Uh all the stuff she's learned, maybe not all of it, but I'd say a lot of it. And uh, if if I was allowed to name the episodes, I would call this the Mama Sode. I don't think you're allowed to do that. I know, and I but I just <laughs> want to say that she's she's way way more than just a mom. She she shares so much awesome shit in this episode, but she has some really interesting and unique tips uh, for dealing with. You know, not dealing with, but navigating navigating non-monogamy as a as a parent. So definitely going to want to listen. And again, it's not just about parenting, but there are some pretty cool tips. Awesome. Yes. I, I think I've said it enough. What do you I think, think I think you have. We're going to move on to a couple of announcements. All right, I'll shut up. <laughs> First off, we have our next Patreon Q and A for December scheduled. We're going to change it up this time and do it on a Sunday. Sunday. It'll be December fifteenth at nine p.m. <laughs> Eastern and nine p.m. Pacific. You just crack yourself up, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, go check out our Patreon page for more information on the video Q and As. We're excited. We had. A lot um, of people on the tons. last one. It was like almost half a million. About 15, which was really exciting. And we hope to have even more on the next one. Yes. What else? What else? Nothing else major other than uh, we just wanted to remind people that if they want to save $10 on stdcheck.com, they can do so. It's an awesome website for getting tested for STDs, believe it or not, and you go online, you make a quick profile, you go into any one of the hundreds, maybe even thousands of Quest or LabCorp uh, locations across the country, you're in and out in a jiffy, and you get your results in about one to two days. We've had 
some people giving us awesome feedback on it that we've talked to. And so if you are one of those people who have used the service, maybe you leave us a quick voicemail and tell us about your experience so we can help spread the word. Yes. How do they do that, Emma? You can Tell go, them all about it. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Go to the Contact Us page, and there is a little link that's or a button that says leave us a voicemail. That's all you got to do. And just a reminder that doing this helps the show. Using these links supports us slightly in a financial sense, so we appreciate all of your support doing that. And using any of the links on our resources page and you can find links to get over there in the show notes, which if you click the show notes button in your podcast player, it will take you to our website where you can see all of those resources, plus sometimes pictures of our guests and even more information about them that we don't cover in the show. Yeah, we include pictures or contact information for our guests if they choose to do that. So go check that out. And now let's go talk to Libby. Yeah. Welcome, Libby. We're so excited to talk to you this morning. And another another Atlanta Poly weekend. Yeah. Connection we have. So. Oh, yeah. You, you got a lot of folks um, from APW? A few. N- not a lot, but a couple. <laughs> a I don't few. know if you cool. met Norm or not when you were down oh, there. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. Norm. He's wonderful. Yeah. yeah he, oh, cool. He, he, even, he even plugged some of your work on his episode. So. Oh, my gosh. Have you aired it yet? Yep, we yes. did. Yep. Oh, so. I've got to listen to that. That's cool. Okay. Um, wow, I'm flattered now. <laughs> um, well, hi. I'm really excited to be. This is my first podcast, you guys. So Ooh, you have. Um, you have. Uh, I don't know what's the appropriate. I don't. I don't believe in virginity. So like, we're not going to yeah. use that. <laughs> I'll just say. I'll just say you're, you're my first. You guys. Well, we're honored. <laughs> yeah, that's super exciting, and. Uh, um, we wanted to see if you could give the listeners, I guess, who a little bit of background. Who is Libby and and why yeah. are you here? Why are you here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So well, who is Libby? God, that's a really hard question. Um well, so right now at this point in my life, um, I am I just turned 40. Um, I am non-monogamous. I've got two kids, I've got three partners, and um I, I now, for a living, I'm a relationship coach and I work with other folks who are not it, some flavor of non-monogamy usually because usually they're looking for someone to help them <laughs> um, and they they it's hard to find uh, mental health people or wellness people who like get non-monogamy. There's actually like, it's a limited supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of come at it from um, a particular perspective, which I'm not going to go deeply into at this exact moment, but like, I kind of come at to, I come into it with my own perspective, right. You know, with my own life experience and what, uh, what I kind of see in the polyamory landscape. Um, and so that's like, what's alive for me right now, I guess. Um, but I mean, I guess if I was going to like give you like my identifiers, I think the biggest thing that kind of defines me right now is that I like to build community. I'm, I'm building a community for myself and I'm a mom and I really like building family too. So, um, I would say those are the big things that like, you know, helping people with my coaching, building community and building my family are like the big things that are like alive for me these days. Awesome. Um, I, I think don't know, was that, that a good answer to your question? No, that's, yes. that's perfect. And I think one thing that we'll definitely want to come back to is is how you're building that community. And maybe we, we can circle back to that in a little bit because I think that's something that a lot of people in this space, especially when they first get into it, they're 
they're maybe alone or feeling yeah, alone and they're like so true. how how do we build up around us and so mm-hmm. we'd love to get get some tips and tricks on that for from you but maybe do you mind telling us like how did you wind up getting into non-monogamy or uh, at the yeah. start well it's so funny because um I don't think I ever really believed in monogamy. I mean, I guess I did when I was like a young teenager, but there was just a certain point where, and I can't remember exactly how old I was, but there was a certain point where I encountered the concept of non-monogamy and and the concept of polyamory. And I was just like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I have more than one friend and like, they aren't mad about each other. They're perfectly supportive of each other. So like when, if you just add sex, why does that magically make it have to be exclusive? Like, I understand if you have pregnancy, then that could be an issue, but like we have modern birth control. So what's the, what would be the issue there? Like why, like it didn't actually compute to me why it was inherently necessary to be monogamous when you add sex and romance into the mix. Like, I understand that. I understood that we were culturally programmed that way, but like my parents got divorced when I was 10. And so I had already kind of like long ago let go of the happily ever after sort of myth like I didn't believe in that Mm -hmm. so you know it just seemed very natural to me I didn't really practice it much when I was uh young and in my 20s um partly because I didn't have a lot of long-term relationships in general and I wasn't so I wasn't very interested in having like like I know a lot of people who are polyamorous who like met their sweetheart when they're like 18 or 19 and then they were with that person for a decade or more and then they open up because they like want to have more partnerships but that was not me so and you know I dated around a lot in my 20s um and one of the experiences I had uh was I was in college and I really didn't want to have a boyfriend <laughs> I didn't really want to have any kind of serious relationship and but I really wanted to have like a romantic connection of some kind specifically I wanted to make out with somebody like nobody's business like I was just desperate to like have a serious make out and the college I went to was like majority women and I was not in touch with my queer side at that point I had no idea how to like make that happen uh with uh someone who was not a guy Mm -hmm. and um and I didn't even really know how to make it happen with a guy, honestly. But, um, but so I didn't feel like I had that many opportunities at my school. So what I did was, and this is really funny, I posted an ad on Craigslist. Uh, and I said, I want to make out with you, random stranger. Send me an email, like telling me why I should make out with you. Send me a picture. Uh, we'll meet in a, pu- if I like you and I decide I want to meet up with you, we'll meet in a public place and we'll make out for 20 minutes or whatever. And then we'll say goodbye. And that'll be the end. And I mean, of course I got like a million responses to this. <laughs> I was going to um, say, yeah. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, I was like in my early twenties when I did this. And, and so I got a ton of responses. I answered like three of them. And, um, I think I, I think it was three, three or four people that I met up and made out with. And that was really fun. One of them was this guy who, uh, was married and in an open marriage. And that was really my first like real world experience with non-monogamy was that, we made out and then we like ended up talking for like hours and then we decided to start dating each other. And so I started dating him um, and we dated for like six months, something like that. And ironically, he kind of fell in love with me and I was kind of like, whoa, buddy, like chill out. <laughs> I thought this was going to be like, like really like not a big deal. And like, here you are getting all lovey-dovey with me. It was really- You you were looking for something more informal at that time. Yeah, I was looking for something more casual, something more like physical, I guess. Although I didn't actually 
find the physical aspect like super satisfying either. So that was all, it was all very confusing. My twenties were a confusing time, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but that was my first experience with it. And funnily enough, uh, he and I are still in touch and now he lives in Seattle and he's still with his, uh, his wife at the time and they have kids now and they're part of this huge poly community in Seattle. But what was funny was he was doing this open marriage thing kind of on his own, uh, in New York. And it was kind of on the down low with everybody. And, uh, he was, he did not expect to have to fall in love with anybody. And he tells me now that I was his first like uh, on-ramp to like polyamory because he was like, oh, I caught feels here and that was fine. And it was great for him. And like, even though we ultimately broke up, he, um, you know, he kind of like doubled down on polyamory. And I went forward into my twenties and just kind of floated around and, you know, dated, dated around. And eventually like I had some relationship experiences that, clued me into the fact that monogamy probably wasn't going to work for me. And the first one was that I had this boyfriend, uh, the one that I, the one that I was serious with right before I met my current like nesting partner, co-parent husband. And, and he, he and I had a big difference of opinion. I was part of like a, I hung out with like the burner crowd and stuff like that. And, um, and one of the things that burners like to do is they like to go skinny dipping. I mean, they like to be naked a lot in general, I think a lot of them. But like, so um, I had a friend who had a hot tub on his uh, roof deck and like he would invite people over to a hot tub and it was clothing optional. And I was like, well, why would I wear clothes? It's cool. We're all friends here and I trust everybody and it's fine. My, my boyfriend at the time was horrified though. He was like, how dare you be naked in front of other men? Like, that's not okay. And I was just like, whoa, like really? And it opened up this whole conversation of like what he thought fidelity was and what he thought monogamy was and what he thought commitment was. And I was just like, that is so far from what I feel and think. And then I had had this other conversation with a friend of mine who was also pondering whether she wanted to be monogamous. And she was saying that she couldn't imagine like partnering up with somebody and never having a first kiss again. And when she said that to me, I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) And, and I was like, geez, I mean, I, you know, first kisses are actually pretty awkward, you know, and uncomfortable, but there's also something sort of thrilling and wonderful about it too. Yeah. And yeah. So, so I was like, you're right. Uh, I don't want to be monogamous. I I probably don't want to be monogamous. And yet then I was like, well, uh, how do I meet somebody who's gonna want to do that with me because <laughs> yeah. obviously the relationship you were in at the moment that wasn't gonna fly no 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 no. we broke up shortly after that whole hot tubbing discussion happened although he was sort of like oh my gosh he was like oh I was gonna marry you I was gonna commit to you I can't believe that you would let this get in the way of like you finding this really good guy who's willing to be with you and I was just like whoa <laughs> At least he was humble. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean... Like, and and that that it was your... I guess that he was saying that he was... You were willing to be with him? Like... He was... No, it's like he was doing me this big favor. He was willing to be with you. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you're not going to find anyone else in this world because... Yeah. Well, catching a man is really hard, you know? Right. And, <laughs> and getting a man to settle down is really hard. And, like, you should be lucky if you mm-hmm. find somebody who's willing to sacrifice all the other women that they could be with to be with you. And I was just like, no, I don't Whoa. actually want that anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Whoa. Um, pump, pump the brakes here. Let's, let's back up a little bit. 
Yeah. And I mean, he's a really good guy. I don't want to denigrate this guy because he's a really good guy. We just had different values and we right. had different ideas sure. about what it meant to be in a relationship. And when that became very clear to me, I, I like really, I thought about it. It wasn't like I was like the minute he complained about me skinny dipping, I was like, Oh, you're kicked to the curb. I, I thought about it. And then I realized that that's just, it's a value that actually informs a lot of other values about like bodily autonomy, my own ownership of myself and my choices, trusting me to be nude around other people that are sexually attracted to me, the whole notion of how jealousy works. Like it just, it was this cascade of, of realizations about what was important to me that made me say, I can't be with somebody who doesn't agree with me on these things. So, right. right. Yeah. So we broke up and then I met my, uh, my now husband. And when we met, we both had really close friends who were non-monogamous. Um, my two best friends, both of them, um, one lives in Boston and one lives in DC and they're both polyamorous, like really, really polyamorous. And they both kind of came to it in their own ways and in their own, um, like they're not, it's not like they were, they were, they're friends with each other too, but they didn't inform each other's decisions right. to do it. Um, they both kind of came in and on their own life journeys, but it was sort of like, that was, so that was already kind of part of my life was that that was kind of the, an okay way to be. And then my, my husband, he, uh, his roommate at the time, uh, was also, um, polyamorous and, and, and still is. Um, and so, so that was kind of like, it's funny. I go back and I look, we met on OkCupid and I go back and I look at our early OkCupid messages. I think even before we actually met and we talked about non-monogamy and, um, and we debated with each other, like whether it was actually a thing that could work and whether and how it would work and whether it was a good idea. And we were both like, ah, we don't really know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> um, but so, then, he, you know, so he was not monogamous or he had, he, he said was. he was poly. Oh, I thought she said he was. He no, wasn't. His best right. friend. His no, he friend. wasn't. His he best wasn't. friend his was. Best I'm friend sorry. Was. I missed that. Okay. Or, so. or his roommate was. His roommate and my two best friends were. And so we talked about it. But but yeah, no, we both, our dating profiles both were saying that we were monogamous. Uh, monogamous. I mean, I don't even think they had the granular way that you can declare yourself right. Right. then that they do now. But yeah, there was sorry, the assumption that that, that, was, that was, I mean, because that's the, the default, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like what we both felt we wanted to do. Um, but it was always kind of, a topic of discussion for us. It wasn't something that was like way out there for us to consider. Um, and I found out later, I didn't know it at the time, but that he had kind of dabbled with some non-monogamy with his previous partner who he'd been with for, um, almost a decade. Um, and so I didn't know that that was a thing that he'd done before. Didn't go well for him the first time he tried it out, but it was something that he wasn't opposed to like from a moral standpoint or something. And, uh, then about a year into our relationship, one of my good friends, I, it turned out he was in an open relationship and he thought that I was just by the way I was comporting myself. <laughs> and so he started hitting on me. And then I was like, Oh, uh, do you want to go out? Cause like, I, I, I could go ask about that. Let's let me just ask about that. And, um, and so I did. And my husband was like, yeah, let's, you could give that a go. Sure. Let's, let's see how it goes. Let's talk about it and like, talk about it as we go along and keep in touch and communicate, you know, along the way and see how that feels. And I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did that. And, and, uh, this guy also really liked my husband and they were friends and like, you know, we were all really cool and chill with each other. And I was, and it just, it was a really good 
starting point, I think, for us. Um, because we all really trusted each other and it was very low stakes and, um, and, and, and it wasn't, it it wasn't this thing where like, I was crazy in love with this guy and I wanted to, you know, run off with him or that we'd been having an affair or anything like that. It was just like, I want to try this. I want to see how this feels. Yeah. And, and it was, it was really fun. And, you know, it, it was, it didn't go very far the first time, you know, we didn't, this guy and I didn't date very long he did end up coming to our wedding, uh, which, cause we weren't married at the time yet, but when, when, when we did get married, this guy and his partner ended up coming to our wedding and, um, uh, we're, you know, stayed friends with us for a while. And so, you know, it, it, it was a good starting point. And after that, we just kind of remained open. Like that was sort of our, our policy with each other. When we got married, we did not write anything about monogamy or fidelity or anything like that in our vows we weren't open about it with very many people we didn't i mean there were some people who knew uh but we didn't tell our parents or anything like that because it didn't seem very relevant at the time because it wasn't at that point like a lifestyle choice it was more of a this is a thing that could happen and we're open to it and whatever happens happens and we don't really know if that means we're polyamorous it doesn't mean we we don't know what we are we just know that we're not monogamous and that we're not closed to whatever possibilities are out there for us. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So in sure. that in that first experience you said that you um when you were dating the other guy, what did you experience any issues with jealousy either one of you or navigating that or was it was it pretty did it feel pretty normal and, and easy? That first one felt really normal and easy. Uh it was it was really, I mean, it didn't go that deep. So, I mean, I think yeah. that might've been why it was really normal and easy. And I mean, I'll say a lot of my early poly experiences, non-monogamy experiences were not very deep. They didn't go very deep. And so they, they weren't, I, I feel like they didn't upend very much or destabilize very much at first because it was, they just didn't go very deep. Um, they were fun experiences. They were new connections. They were more like friendships that just had a potential for other elements and, and, and we just, we communicate really well with each other, my husband and I, and, and since it was always kind of a thing on the table that we always talked about, it was sort of, I felt like we were set up to communicate about it well from the beginning, I think. Mm-hmm. To be clear though, I, I want to be clear. There's more to the story where it does get difficult. Like, yeah. Like we're talking, this is early stages, early stages, but the the early stages were, the early stages were actually really easy. Um, I remember funnily, I mean, this is kind of a wild thing to say, but I'm going to share it with you because it's also kind of juicy. Uh, (laughs) so, so one of my friends who is polyamorous, um, I went to her wedding, uh, and, um, she of course invited her other partners to the wedding but it was her wedding with her like nesting partner or whatever. And, um, so her other partners were at the wedding, but they were all sort of like, you know, just there to cheer her on. And one of them I was attracted to and was, um, away from home and, and my, uh, husband couldn't be with me, um, at this wedding because, uh, there was a lot of work going on for him. He was very, very busy with work. So I was there by myself and, and then there was this guy there who I had met before that was again, a partner of one of my closest friends. And, and, uh, we'd had a connection before and we totally like hooked up at my best friend's wedding. Like I hooked up with one of her boyfriends at her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> that is a juicy detail. <laughs> um, but again, that was like no big deal. Like, and I didn't even, I didn't even tell, um, my husband that that was going to happen beforehand. Like we didn't negotiate it beforehand or anything. He sort of was like, yeah, if you want to do something, that's cool. What else? 
And then I didn't, you know, I told him I didn't like, I wasn't like calling him up in the bathroom before we, you know, right. you know, got naked or whatever. I was like, uh, the next morning on my way home, I was like, so by the way, I, <laughs> I slept with somebody and, and he was like, Oh yeah, cool. Tell me more. And I was like, well, this is what happened. And it was fun. And I don't know. And then, you know, I mean, again, it was a long distance thing and I actually have not seen that guy since, which is strange to me. That's not my usual it's, it's one night stands are not my usual. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that, you know, that was one experience of a few in the early days that was just like, Oh, okay. That happened. What else? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the key is like, you're being honest and open with each other about it. Right. And both of you are mm -hmm. allowing the other person to be like, okay, that that's cool. Like, tell me more about it. And if, if something comes, if a feeling comes up, it sounds like you were able to at least talk about it. Yeah. I gotta say, I was kind of surprised that feelings didn't come up um early on like I kept being like are you sure are, are you sure it's okay it's sure this is fine and I mean to be clear um my husband didn't date anybody for a while like so we were kind of poly mono for a while um uh -huh. or non-monogamous I don't know what you'd call us but like we were you know because he was just very into work and very you know very taken up by that and then when we had our kids like work plus kids that was like just it took uh, I think a lot of his energy just to like do those things yeah of course. and I mean honestly when I had my kid like for the first year of having a kid I was I was also kind of <laughs> right just a mom and that was it and kind yeah. of lost myself for about a year honestly um which I, it, I don't regret at all I you know it's a great experience but but also kind of a, a major shift in identity and stuff yeah how so. did how did you I guess, how did you shift back then? Because I think that's an, that's another thing that people, you know, in, in a, I say a lot in the swinging world, too, is yeah. they, they're like, well, I'm a mom. And it's really hard to shut off the mom and go back to being sexy and dating or any of those mm. things. Yeah, that is so real. This is interesting. So this is this really gets to the meat of like my story. <laughs> um, and it's going to be it's funny. So. I mean, my husband and I, like, we never really like, I mean, our, our, our sex life, I mean, in terms of like being sexy with each other post kids, I mean, that wasn't actually hard to do. I mean, we learned, I learned how to shut that part of me off and like, or the mommy part of me off and be, you know, a partner and a romantic partner to him. That wasn't, that was actually surprisingly not that hard, but I had kind of still like lost my identity in a sense. And I think I got very subsumed by being a mom. And what I found was that that was very isolating. Mm -hmm. I was really isolated. And it's funny because I, I often tell this analogy that like when I was a, a new mom, you know, one of the things that I really believe in and I'm passionate about, as I said before, is community. And so I, what I really kind of dreamed of was like having this village of other moms that I was friends with and that I knew and that we'd all watch our kids together and we'd all have play dates with our babies. And maybe we'd all put them down to nap at someone's house and then sit and have coffee. And that was like my dream of what I really wanted. And I couldn't for the life of me make it happen. And I was trying really hard. And a couple of things kept getting in my way. The first thing that got in my way was scheduling because babies' naps just wouldn't line up with each other. And even moms who are home with their kids, which I was home with my both of my kids when they were born from the time they were about between 18 months and two years old, I stayed home with them. And so... I was trying really hard to like set things up with other stay at home moms. Cause I know that's isolating for them too. And, and we all seemed really hungry for connection, but then it was really hard to schedule for some reason and really hard to like link up 
And then it was really hard to like make the connection with the other mom. Like we got to a point where I got to a point with some of the new moms that I was making friends with and realized like we really didn't have anything in common apart from the fact that we were both parents and kind of going through the same thing. And then we were responding to it in very different ways. And sometimes I was like, oh, you're doing what? Oh, okay. (laughs) And I mean, not not in a judgment kind of way, but just in a kind of like, it seems like my, what I'm doing and what you're doing are so wildly different. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know if we can really connect on this. It was, was you're almost like forcing the friendship, right? Yeah. And I mean, again, because I'm non-monogamous and because like, there's a lot of things that kind of just go with that attitude. Like there's a certain amount of autonomy. There's a certain amount of egalitarianism in my relationship. Like I remember going to this one mom meetup and talking about how, and, and talking about how my husband was like really great about putting the kid, my baby down for naps and putting him to bed. And I felt like we were really equal in that. Like, I felt like, if I had to go away for a week for some reason and he was just on his own as a parent, I felt like he could handle it and I wouldn't have to like leave him a long instruction list or anything like that. And there is sort of this trope of like the incompetent dad, right? Like that you, that, that the mom is in charge of everything and handles everything and knows everything. And the dad is just sort of like the the third kid sometimes almost. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have that experience with my husband, but so many women did like talk about that and like talk about how they didn't feel like they could leave their kids, al- like their babies alone with their partner for any amount of time. And I just felt sad for them. And then I felt like I couldn't talk about my relationship because then it sounded like I was bragging. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it just, again, I just sort of felt isolated and I mean, yeah, woe is me. I had an amazing part. I have an amazing partner who, <laughs> who I couldn't brag about. Um, but, but, you know, I, I did feel isolated. And so this is going to sound funny, but like ultimately somewhere in my brain, I was like, oh yeah, I can date. Like, that's a thing I could do to meet people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so literally what I did is I went on OkCupid I sorted for people who are hyper-local to me. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I, so I sorted for people who are also in Silver Spring, Maryland, who are also polyamorous, who are also married, who also had kids. Okay. So yeah, you were, you were narrowing it down very far. Yeah. I was like, if I'm going to make some parent friends who have kids and like, they'll want to schedule with me because they could maybe have sex with me. Like, and that'll make them like more motivated to like make it work. <laughs> literally that was my thinking well and you were also trying to find people who are like-minded like by doing that you were finding like-minded people that was my thinking too is that I would find people who who kind of got some basic things that I where I was coming from that other people would just be like you do what Mm -hmm. right so um so that that's what I did and it it actually really worked I was gonna say was it successful (laughs) yes it was successful. So I, the first couple of dates I went on, I went on dates with some guys. Cause again, I, I, I still at that time wasn't in touch with my, my queer side. I knew it was there, but I didn't know what to do with it. So it was just, I didn't do anything with it. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I reached out to some guys and went on some dates and didn't actually hit it off with the guys all that well, for various reasons, we didn't connect romantically sexually, but I ended up meeting their wives And we like hit it off very quickly and became like besties for a little while. Like we became really close friends and, uh, and they were moms. And uh, one of them actually had a kid the same age as my kid. And we spent a lot of time together. Uh, she was working part-time. So she was off like three days a week with her kid. And so we just get our kids together and hang out. And 
it was interesting because this group of people that I started making friends with, they gradually kind of grew into um, like a little chosen family village, whatever you want to call it. Um, we just, we, one of my friends decided she was like, oh my God, there are more poly parents right around the corner from me. I must meet all of them. I'm going to find all of them and we're going to all have barbecues together and that's what's going to happen. And she was very on the ball about it and I was very supportive. And so we just kind of collaborated on that and made it made it happen where we got together and started making this little village of poly parents in like Silver Spring, Silver Spring area. And, um, and it was, it was very successful. We, we were, we were doing the things that I like dreamed about. We were having play dates together with our kids and then having dinner afterwards and meeting up for all kinds of group family activities. And then everybody kind of started dating each other. And then I kind of didn't, <laughs> um, I didn't date anybody in that group really, except briefly one of the people in that group we, we kind of dated, but it was ambiguous and confusing and and your husband I mean, was part of all of this too. Like he was involved in a lot of it yeah, when, he could, when he, he could be. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was. And he actually like had a quasi romantic relationship with somebody as well in that group. Um, it, it, he just really, for him, he was like the, he was like this, he didn't, he didn't seem to have the energy for doing as much socializing and as much um, dating type stuff as I was. I think he yeah. wasn't feeling the same kind of isolation I was feeling. I think well, he, he, had, can... he had, a, it sounds like he had a, a job and, you know, he was, had that date, date, just almost a distraction, but environment, right? He had that socialization at work. Yeah. Well, and he really loves his job and he's really good at it. And yeah. it's, it, I think it's a really fulfilling thing for him. Mm-hmm. So I think he's happy to put a lot of his energy into it. Um, right. Although that's, that's actually changed a lot. And he's actually become a lot more engaged with poly community, with the poly community and a, a lot more engaged. And he's got a very serious partner now and a lot has changed. But at that time he was, you know, yeah, he was, he was coming with me to barbecues and hanging right. out at play dates and making friends with folks. I think he held himself a little bit apart just because that, because of energy, you know? Yeah. Well, and he, like, I think, where Emma was going to like, he wasn't necessarily as starved for the community and the, no. the connection, right? Because he was getting that at work versus you were, you were home with a, with, you know, toddlers or babies all day. right? Mm-hmm. That, exactly. Right? Exactly. And I love my kids very, very much, but when they're very, very small, they can, it's not a stimulating conversation. It's, right. Oh, you've got a poopy diaper again. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, um, it's yeah. It so. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that's kind of how that started. Um, and, and so really it's funny. I, I wasn't dating anybody ultimately. Like I, I was like, well, you know, I'll date people and then maybe I'll make community. And then I dated some people and made community and still wasn't dating anybody. Like I actually, and I, and during this time I actually got pregnant with my second kid. And so I was actually, it's, it was really funny. I was the I at a lot of polyamory, like meetup group things that I would go to or organize, I was like the cool pregnant lady. Like I was the cool poly pregnant lady (laughs) that that somehow nobody, nobody was asking out. Like nobody was asking me out or trying to go on dates with me. But, um, but maybe, maybe that was because I was pregnant and people were sort of like, I don't know what to do with you. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they're Um, giving you space or, you know, yeah. Trying to be respectful too. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, 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 you know, I didn't, so I didn't date for, I think like the first year or maybe a little bit more when I was really connecting deeply to this polyamorous community. I was like, I was just 
you know, and this was, this was, this was the sort of the next phase after your early stages, right? Like Mm -hmm. after, yeah. so there wasn't, I want to make sure we didn't skip anything else. No, 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 no. So yeah. So that was, so again, I was just, I was just looking for friends. I was Uh looking for community and, and, um, and, and, you know, I was open to relationships too, but it wasn't like I was, that wasn't what I deeply needed. Uh, although there was a certain point where I was part of this community where everybody was doing that. And then I was like, okay, I want to be doing that too. <laughs> right. Right. So how, um, did, I guess, how did you move forward then? Um, I mean, eventually somebody expressed an interest in me and I was interested in them back and we went on some dates and started dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happened actually that happened with two people almost simultaneously. Um, one of those people I'm still with, uh, and one of those people I'm not, uh, but we're still really good friends like that. The, so, I mean, we're all on good terms, I would say. And the person that I, that, that I started dating, it was, that's my partner. Um, they're, um, they're the person that sort of like brought out my queer side in a beautiful way. Um, they, they were really, they, you know, we met at a party and they were really interested in me and they were, um, they just wanted to hang out with me and we were hanging out and they were like, I know, you know, they, they didn't know what was there, but they knew something was there. And I was like, well, this is cool. Um, and then we, we just, you know, started getting really close and then that turned romantic and sexual and it became really wonderful. Um, and, um, and like I said, they're, the interesting part of that story is that, uh, we've, we've been dating now almost four years. We met over four years ago and, um, now they're dating my husband. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but they're, and they're like basically a part of the family at this point. They're really, um, they're really important to our lives. And, um, and I use they, because they are non-binary, they use they, Mm -hmm. them pronouns. Um, and when I met them, they were actually not non-binary. They were going by she, her, and were identifying as a woman and, um, um, then transitioned during our relationship. So, um, that's very cool. Super. It's exciting. Like that, that you've both kind of found the same person and it's all kind of come together. And I, I, well, I mean, those kind of things are complicated, right? I mean, how many people have you talked to who are in like a triad kind of thing? Enough to know that it's not an easy thing to juggle. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's not a thing we sought out in any kind of way. We didn't, we definitely didn't like, we were very, I mean, obviously for a while, my husband was monogamous, like, like was not dating anybody. So it was, I mean, he may have been like philosophically non-monogamous, but in practice was mm-hmm. monogamous. So I guess maybe I shouldn't say he was monogamous. Cause I think you're polyamorous. If you're poly, if you, if you believe in dating more than one person and you, that's who you are and what you want to be, even if you're only dating one person, you're still polyamorous the same way. Like you're bisexual, even if you're only dating one gender, yeah. you know, I think that's, I think yeah. that's true. Um, but functionally he was monogamous for a long time. Um, did but, that, so, did, did that cause any issues? Like the, I guess you call it a little bit of an imbalance. Like, hmm. was there any issues around that? Because I, I could see how that, I could see how it could go both ways. Yeah. Uh, you mean with with him being not dating and me dating? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, the, I think if there was any imbalance, the imbalance would have been I'm doing this cool thing and I want you to do it so that we can talk more about it so you understand more about what it's like. Right. You know, I think that was that was the thing is I kind of wanted him to be, um, maybe on the, on the same journey as me, but, 
but that wasn't, but, but, you know, I, I mean, that was only like sort of a, like a minor want. It wasn't like something that I deeply desired. Um, because I, I, he really is his own person and I love the person that he is. And part of what makes our relationship work well are the ways in which we're different and the ways in which we kind of complement each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wanted him to want what he wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when he eventually wanted to be with, um, our, the partner that we're both with, I was like, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And it, it evolved very slowly. I mean, he's only been dating them for about two years. So, uh, so that's a two years when then they were, you know, metamors basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I guess, and you said though that it it can be a little complicated doing the the triad thing. Do you can you maybe speak to that a little? Whatever you're comfortable. Oh yeah, I mean, well yeah, it's. I mean, the reality is, no triangle with three autonomous different human beings is going to be like an equilateral triangle. You know, right? Yep. Right. Every every relationship is going to have its own frequency, its own like ways of connecting points of connection. And I mean, that's a beautiful thing about it. I think that also can make it a tricky thing in terms of finding balance, finding time, making sure everybody feels cherished and appreciated for who they are and what they are. I would get, I, you know, here's a funny story of a a moment that I had some serious jealousy. It's, It's really funny. So, um, my husband at one point got this desire to start wearing like jewelry and he expressed an interest in like getting an ear cuff for like just a little cuff on his ear. And I went to, um, a festival and I saw one that this artisan would had in their shop and I saw it and I was like, I think that's a perfect first like ear cuff for him. That would be, I think he'd really like it. It's, it looks like his style and I bought it for him and he loved it and he wore it every day. And I just felt like, like, oh, like I'm not a very good gifts person, but I was like, oh, I nailed it. I got a great gift and he loves it and he wears it all the time. And then that Christmas, uh, his other partner got him an ear cuff for Christmas. And I was like, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. I was so mad for a little while. I was really upset. I was like, I can't believe it. This was the special thing that I got him. You got him the same thing. Like, that's so mean. Well, he has and two I mean, ears. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, and I have like 10 pairs of earrings, you know, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous too. You know, it was ridiculous. And, you know, but I, you know, I had that feeling and I experienced it and I, you know, didn't ignore it. I was like, yep, I'm definitely mad about that. And I'm definitely jealous. And I'm, and it, it was also a really cool ear cuff to be clear. And, you know, it was different than mine, but in a cool, it was cool. It wasn't cooler than mine, but it was cool in a different way. And <laughs> I was like, oh man, if I'd seen that one, I might've bought that one. And, you know, so it was, you know, so, but I had my feelings about it. And then I, I talked to, you know, talk to people about it. And I just said, this is a thing that happened to me. I just want to let you know, I'm working through it. It's going to be fine. And, um, you know, and it was, but, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, I'm sure that's happened to a lot of people, right? Like the, you have this, maybe this special thing between the two of you, or it feels special between the two of you, but you didn't say never do this with anybody else. And, And maybe you wouldn't even say that, 
but then you, they do do it with someone else and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the, the, the crazy thing here is if somebody was listening to this, who wasn't non-monogamous, they would be saying, yeah, the thing that I have that's special with you is that we have sex together. Yeah. That's true. And, and for you, like, that's no big deal, Yeah. but, but it was a piece of jewelry or, you know, it could be anything. It could be a t-shirt. It could be a, yeah. uh, just about anything. And it's, it's going to see your favorite band together. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, and I think the hard part to convey to people is that that doesn't mean that you value the sex that you're having less than mm-hmm. the ear cuff. It's yeah. the, it's <laughs> just the, like, it's a, it's just a different, I don't know. I don't yeah. know how you describe it. No, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's different. That's all. I mean, I think you have to, it's normal to have jealousy feelings over anything, I think is mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. key yeah. there. Um, yeah, yeah. Including sex. Even if you're polyamorous, right. even if you're not right. anonymous, you can still have jealousy feelings over sex. A hundred percent. Especially like specific acts that you do together that maybe feel right. special or an act that you're willing to do with one partner, but not the other partner. Yeah. So many things like that can come up and absolutely have for me for sure. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a really like compassionate and beautiful point though, in terms of like understanding how like monogamous people can feel about something that feels very special and sacred to them with this one other person. And that really, I mean, I have no judgment about people who choose to be monogamous, right? Like I think that, you know, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me, but I see why it makes sense to lots of people. All right. Exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what we always tell people too, is that, you know, this podcast is never to try to convince you that you must be non-monogamous. You just, I think it's that it is an option. That's the key, right? And you have the choice. Yeah. And I don't think anybody should be shamed for wanting the things that they want. And and I mean, there's also a very big difference between wanting something and acting on it sometimes too. Like you can right. want something and I think like you don't need to shame anybody for it, but then maybe that's not the choice you want to make, or maybe it is the choice you want to make, you know, and you have to weigh sort of the pros and cons of whatever you're doing. Right. Like, right. I think there are people who might want to be non-monogamous, but choose not to be. There might be people who want to be, um, monogamous but choose not to be for their partner or whatever you know and that's there's a lot of people who who do that in I mean I I think honestly um there are a lot of people who probably could go either way you know Mm -hmm. who could who could be I could be happy polyamorous or I could be happy you know monogamous and that would be fine to me right and interestingly for me I think I actually kind of fit into that category by the like sex definition of it, you know, like in terms of like, if I needed, like, I don't specifically need to have a lot of sexual partners or a lot of romantic relationships. What I do need is a lot of emotional intimacy with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I also need a lot of autonomy in my relationships and, and, um, ownership of myself and things that I think kind of people who are monogamous don't necessarily unpack, um, when they are kind of following the default cultural scripts. And, and even people who are exploring polyamory for the first time, if they haven't unpacked those things, you know, you can run into a lot of stuff, like a lot mm-hmm. of just like unspoken expectations or how, you know, relationships work that can kind of come into things and uh, that can definitely gum up the works of trying to be polyamorous. That, but like, so for me, it's like more the, I don't know, ethos of mm-hmm. how a lot of people operate in their relationships when they're non-monogamous that is really important to me more than the 
specific partnerships and what they look like. Yeah. Right. For sure. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I, I have a potentially difficult question to answer. Okay. Um, so you, you've talked about like, you want a lot of autonomy in your relationships and, and you give that same autonomy back to your partners. Mm-hmm. How do you give somebody autonomy without making them feel like you don't care about them? Right. So I, I think it can sometimes be seen as like, like you're taking the step back and saying, do what you want to do. And, and, and I think, you know, in a lot of like, not necessarily cultures, but it, like a lot of people could see that as like, well, they just, they don't care enough to, mm-hmm. to want that extra piece. And I guess balancing that and how, how do you maybe, what are ways that you show that you care without being like a helicopter partner? Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. It's interesting that you say helicopter partner. Cause I think like you could say the same thing about parenting, right? Like how mm-hmm. do you show that you care without hovering over your kid and not making sure that they fall down uh, and like picking them back up right away or covering them in bubble wrap or trying to control their every move. And I guess my answer, my parenting answer and my relationship partner answer would be the same answer, which is that one of the ways that I show that I care is by giving the people that I love my trust and the freedom to make their own choices and to celebrate that with them and cherish them for who they actually are and what they actually want to be and who they actually want to be with and what they want to do. And I mean, it's the same thing with my kids. I don't think I'm doing my kids a service if I try to control them and try to invade every part of their life. They're human beings just like I am, even though they're right, right now, they're like just about four and six years old. They're human beings with their own ideas and their own desires. And if I like I mean, I obviously tell them what to do a lot as their parent, but like, that's mostly for like safeties and limits and boundaries. But in terms of like who they want to be, what they like, what, what they want to do, how they want to play, um, whether they want to make a risky mistake, as long as I don't think it's going to kill them, I will usually like give them a lot of space. Like an example would be I'm on the playground with my kid and he wants to climb on the outside of a tube slide. Uh, which looks very scary to me. It's like he's climbing on the outside of this big slide and it looks like he could really fall down and hurt himself. And I'm going to let him do that because I trust him to know his own body, to take reasonable risks. And if he falls down and hurts himself, I'll be there and I'll support him and I'll help him and I'll take care of him and, you know, rush him to the emergency room if that's what's needed. But like so far he hasn't fallen down and he's fine. And I think if you don't, trust your partners to be who they are and make their own choices and make their own mistakes, then you're not really treating them as full people, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I feel like that's how I show my love is by saying, I cherish you as your full person. And I mean, obviously I also show up for my people, you know, when they need me, I'm there when I, I'm very affectionate. Um, you know, we have all kinds of rituals of connection that I think are really important, like with different partners, it shows up in different ways, but like just different ways that we remind each other every day that we care about each other and that we love each other. One of my partners and I, we make playlists and share songs that make us think about each other. You know, we just share little Spotify links and stuff like that. Another one, it's like memes and, um, you know, tweets, like, um, that, you know, sharing a tweet that we want to share. I mean, like all different kinds of things like that, that just like remind each other that we, that we care and that we matter. And then there are the big things too, like 
you know, when there's a crisis, we show up for each other. When there's, um, when things are hard, we hold each other, you know, and when we're, when we fuck up with each other, we work on it and we work it out. I mean, I think autonomy doesn't mean you're on your own. It just means you get to choose what's best for you. I'm still going to weigh in on how it's going to impact me because it will. Um, and I'm going to hope that you're going to care about that, you know, but ultimately I'm not going to control you and tell you what to do, you know? Right. Perfect. No, I think that's, that's, uh, a very good answer. Yeah. I was going to say very well. (laughs) Very good answer. (laughs) Um, so I mean, I've put a lot of thought into this. I mean, you know, both as a, yeah, both as a parent, as a part and as a partner, because I mean, there are times when if I'm, if I'm giving space, some people do interpret that as me not caring or me being negligent in some kind of way. And I don't, I don't see it that way. And, um, and I mean, you know, ultimately I have to seek out people in my life who also don't see it that way. Right. Who appreciate the freedom as a form of love, like right. the mm-hmm. freedom and the trust as a, yeah. as a way of showing love. Well, it all comes down to communication, right? Cause you, like that's really the bottom line because if that's if someone's feeling neglected or whatever they need to communicate that to you so you can understand that and then you can yeah. t- talk about well I'm trying to you know give you space because I think that's a good thing and yeah. it's all yeah talk about all of that yeah and I mean I I want to be clear I'm not perfect at any of this like oh just no, be- I'm, <laughs> we're not implying that either because I don't think anyone is <laughs> yeah I mean I mean I definitely screw up and there have definitely been times in my past when I've wanted to control things more you know, and, and I think that that's like, when you say, when you say being a helicopter partner or whatever, what I see there is like the desire to control, like Mm -hmm. to control things. And I think trying to control people always backfires on you because people don't like being controlled. Mm -hmm. Um, especially I think probably Americans, you know, cause we're like, you know, we don't like authority and, you know, we, we're very individualistic people, uh, for better or for worse. And, um, so I don't, I just don't think control works out very well. Uh, and there have also been times when I've given too much space and too much distance and have done what you said and not communicated it as well as I should have or would have and, and not said like, this is why I'm giving you space right now. This is why I need space right now. Cause sometimes that happens too, right? Like sometimes you have to take responsible distance from somebody because you can't be in it with them in the way that you want to even maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes, mm-hmm. and I mean, again, this even applies to parenting. Like there are times when my kid is throwing a shit fit and it's not like I abandon them, but I have to say, I can't, I cannot be with you while you scream at me. Like you need to, you know, I, this is too loud. It hurts my ears. It hurts my head. You have a right to be mad and scream if that's what you need to do, but I can't be here for it. And so I need to go take a, a step out of the room and take a, and take a breather. Now, obviously I'm not going to do that with a one-year-old who's, you know, going <laughs> to cause harm to themselves and like maybe fall down the stairs. Or I mean, there's some, I don't know. Like I obviously wouldn't do that with them, but like with my six-year-old, you know, I'll say, and again, it's not a punishment. I'll say, you need to, if you're really upset and you can't be calm and you can't have your body be calm around me, I can't interact with you. You need to go up to your room and take a break and feel your feelings there where you can't hurt other people, you know? And I actually think a really important piece of relationships is learning how to take responsible distance when things are hard and you can't fix it. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes you just can't sometimes, sometimes one of you is having a really rough time 
and the other one can't do the loving hold spacey thing that they need to do in that moment they're too reactive to it and you the, the best thing for you to do to preserve your relationship is to take space but take it responsibly with as you said communication right Right. And not just disappear or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you disappear, you feel abandoned. You feel like, right. Oh, I was too much. Oh, I was, you know, I got too upset. And now my partner doesn't care and I better button it down or bottle it up. And that's unhealthy and, and, and unfortunate. And, you know, so it's very good to communicate, Hey, I, I know you're going through a lot right now and I really want to be there for you right now. I, I can't do that in the way I want. So I'm going to give you some space, but I'm here and I will come back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that I will come back thing is really important. Like I will come back, I will come back and check in with you in a couple of days or in 20 minutes or whatever it might be. Right. Right. No, I think that's wonderfully said because um, I think a lot of people will relate to that too. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you like, so I wanted to get like a little bit of a background of where you're at right now, like in your mm-hmm. relationships, we kind of covered the whole, yeah like the stepping stones and you've alluded to the fact that you're kind in a, in a triad of sorts, but what, yeah. like, what do your relationships look like at the moment? Sure. Um, so, uh, there's, um, there's my partner that I share with my husband and that relationship has gone through, I would say a lot of iterations. Um, right now we're in sort of a, we're, we're in sort of a, a liminal space with each other. Um, we're still very committed to each other. And I would say like, no matter what, they're probably always going to be like family to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're sort of re reconfiguring what our relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's an important like thing that all relationships go through. I think, you know, I've gone through that in my, in my nesting partnership too. So, I mean, I've been with my husband now for, um, 10 years and, and we're, you know, we're, we live together. We're very close. Um, we co-parent together and, you know, one thing that we're sort of struggling with at this moment, I think is that we both have, so I have another partner, um, that, uh, I've been with for about two years and we're very close and, um, we, we see each other every week, probably more than once a week. Uh, he's got four kids and he's married and, um, his, um, his kids and my kids hang out together. They know each other really well. And, and we're not like the Brady Bunch blended family thing right now. Like we have separate households and a lot of that stuff is separate, but, um, but we're, but we spend a lot of time together too. And I think one thing that we're sort of bumping up against right now is sort of what are we doing with all of this? Like, um, we feel like family to each other. And I mean, that comes back to what I said before, like one of the important things to me is family And when you think about what a marriage is, like a traditional marriage, a lot of people see that as a romantic institution. And I see it as a familial institution. Like you're legally becoming family to each other. You're legally now their parents are your parents-in-law and your parents are their parents-in-law. You, you know, all of you, you know, you call each other's siblings, like, you know, you're, you're all, you're part of a family now. You've joined a family and you are a family. And even if you don't have kids, you're a family, I would Mm -hmm. say. And, you know, you legally share the same rights to property and things like that, unless you specifically opt out of it, which I think is, I won't get into that, but like its own thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but so, you know, now we're at the point with our partners where they feel like family to us and there's not really a way to have that acknowledged 
in a way that we might like in like by broader society, you know? Right. And, and we're, so we're trying to figure out like what that, what makes sense and what that looks like. And I mean, it, and you know, all, everything's always in flux, you know, like, I mean, relationships end up being these, even when we, even as we, I think all feel very committed to each other, it feels kind of fluid at the same time too. Um, because I don't know, it's a, it's a relationship system at this point, it's its own little ecosystem. And when Mm -hmm. something happens over here, that affects the whole system. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but so this partner that I have that I've been with for two years, uh, two and a half years, I guess, at this point, um, he and I, um, he's sort of, I hate using the word like game changer. Cause like, I really have an issue. I read that book and I hate that book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, I won't go deeply into, um, my issues with the author of that book, but uh, that's well documented on the internet. If anybody's interested in reading about that, but, 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 you know, it's funny because I read that book initially because I was in this relationship newly in this relationship with this, my now partner of two and a half years. Uh, and that was the relationship that I had that was not easy. That was like, suddenly nothing, nothing was easy. There was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of intensity. There was a lot of struggle and strife. And some of it's like not my story to tell. Um, but the part that's mine to tell is that like, you know, I, so I didn't even think I, it was possible for me to fall like head over heels in the way that I did with this partner. Like most of my serious relationships as an adult were like these kind of slow burn kind of things you know, Mm -hmm. and the ones that were like head over heels were like unrequited. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'd like fall crazy in love with somebody and then be like, ew, gross. (laughs) 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 um, But this guy, you know, we just fell head over heels in love with each other. And like, there's parts of me that like want to unpack and, and like diagnose and dissect like why that happened and like give it some kind of like explanation of, you know, it was these circumstances. It was, you know, not that it was some kind of like magical thing, but that it was like there were, there were situational circumstances that caused that particular amount of intensity. Um, he was new to Polly. Uh, he and his wife, when they first started out, um, like were, figuring it all out as they kind of went along. And so it was very unstable and insecure for me for a while. And so I think maybe like the insecurity piece of it might've like ramped up the intensity, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't know who knows. All I know is I fell crazy in love and like, it, it was amazing. Like, and everything about it was amazing. And, um, and that was really hard. I think for, for everybody, I think that was hard for me. It was hard for my husband. It was hard for my other partner. Uh, it was hard for, um, my partner, the partner I fell in love with his wife. I think it was hard for everybody who was in that, again, in that ecosystem where it was all of a sudden there was this sort of like relationship that, um, my husband didn't put it this way, but he sort of put it this way. It's like when we were together, it would kind of take up all the oxygen in the room, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like we would just be like staring all googly eyed at each other anytime we were around each other, even if like there were lots of other people around Yeah, and, it, and, you know, and so that, and, and that's the thing that I'm, I, I, it's a, it's a story that I really want to tell in more depth than I probably have time to in this podcast. And I might even, I mean, I've been wanting to write about it. I've been wanting to 
I don't know, like write about it in a blog post or a series of blog posts, because I, I, what happened was when that happened to me, I went looking everywhere for a story that looked like that, that, that Mm -hmm. was like, you know, I was in this, you know, primary ish, like, I mean, we weren't structuring our relationship in a hierarchical way and we don't, but like prescriptively, we were hierarchical in the sense that I lived with this person who I co-parented with and shared a house with and shared property with and slept in a bed with most nights. And, and so, and then I met this person who like rocked me to my core in a way that you're only supposed to do with the person that you married and pledged to spend your life with. Right. And so then I felt this thing for someone else, like this really radically, like, oh my God, I want to be with you every second of every day feeling with someone else. And it's not that I, you know, my other partner that my husband's dating, it's not that I didn't love them, but I didn't feel that kind of thing for them. Um, and, and it was more what I was comfortable with, which was this slow burn and this deep commitment and this deep cherishing love that, and this, you know, it was, it was deep and rich, but it wasn't wild and intense and on fire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, I was looking everywhere for someone to tell me what to do. <laughs> I was like, what do I do when this happens? (laughs) And nobody would tell me what to do. And, and some people were like, well, just enjoy the ride. And I was like, no, you don't understand this ride is fucking scary and it's hurting people I love and I don't know what to do. (laughs) Did at any point, did you consider trying to break it off because you were hurting people you were, that you loved? Yeah, I did break up with him for about six weeks. Um, and it wasn't because we were, it wasn't because of the, our relationship hurting other people. It was because, um, it felt so out of control to me. And also because it was out of control on my end, it was very out of control on the end of his, him and his wife's situation. And it was like, it was creating a lot of instability for them that then I was kind of on the, along for the ride with. And like, so the instability in me and the instability in them just like was making me sick. I was actually literally like not sleeping. I wasn't eating well. I was, I was sick. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like I have other commitments that I have to show up for. And I can't, like, I have to have some stability here and I can't find any way that I can have it. So we have to end this. And so I did. And I, we broke up and I did a really good job breaking up with him. I want to say like, (laughs) (laughs) proud of that Um, one. (laughs) Well, the funny story around that is that like, um, a year prior I had noticed that people were really bad at breaking up. And so I decided to like gather a lot of material on how to break up well. And I made a breakup workshop, which I still teach. Uh And, and so I was like, well, this is very convenient. I want to break up with somebody. And now I have all this really great material on how to do it. Um, (laughs) And he still says to me to this day that I did a really good job breaking up with him, <laughs> but obviously it wasn't good enough. Cause we, we did get back together. Um, but, but what we did was we, um, we were very strategic about how we got back together. And when we got back together, we did a lot of talking about what our relationship would look like before we actually agreed to be back together. And we wrote some agreements and we set some very clear and strong boundaries with each other. Um, cause I was like, uh, you know, I can't do this if I don't have some stability and some safety and you can't do this if, you know, if I don't know where I'm supposed to be and where I'm not supposed to be, you know? So, 
so we, we got a lot worked out and it, it made our relationship possible was, was creating, like we, we have written agreements <laughs> that we made, but we don't, I mean, we've, they've evolved a lot since then, but in order to get back together, we, we have a lengthy Google document that we made together to like <laughs> figure it out. Right, right. Um, but I just couldn't ultimately, I, we just couldn't not be together was what it was. We could not be together. Yeah. Right. Um, it was breaking both of our hearts too much to not be together. So. Yeah. So, and, and here we are still together. Right. Wow. That was, that actually like got to me to think about oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it sounds like you said it's evolved. You said, it sounds like you found a, a pretty good place to be. Like you, I, you're, you're still searching and, and figuring it out currently, but um, you've worked, it sounds like you've worked past a lot of that hard stuff, mm. especially in the beginning. Yeah, no, we're, we're in a very stable relationship now, I would say. And it's a really beautiful relationship that I love a lot. And that I think nourishes both of us and nourishes the people around us. Um, it's, it's still, I mean, I, I I'll be honest. And, and I, I'm, I'm saying this like, because I really want to not be hiding this is, I mean, it was really hard on my marriage. It was really hard on my marriage. And, um, I hope my in-laws never listen to this. <laughs> um, but it, it caused a lot of jealousy. It caused, um, it caused a lot of pain. A lot of things kind of came to the surface in my marriage that my husband and I had to deal with and talk about and work through that we, we were like shocked by that we had to do. Cause we were like, we've been doing this a while now. Like we know what we're doing. Everything's fine. And then like all of a sudden it was really, like all of the things that I read about that happened to people, like happened to us, like not all of them, but like a lot of things that, that, you know, a lot of the kinds of conversations that I thought we were kind of maybe past or never would never need to have, we ended up having to have. And I don't think it ever took us to the brink or anything like that, but it definitely required us to really look our marriage very like directly in the face and see what we were doing and see the stories we were telling ourselves and asking if they were really true. And, um, I would also say though, that it was the best thing that could have happened. It was really hard, but I would say that on the other end of it, like our marriage is better because of it too. Like, even though there, there's still hard conversations we have, like, because we had to have that reckoning, with what we were really doing together and we had to work through hard things. We're a lot, we have a lot more clarity than, I mean, when we thought we were doing well before, like, but we have a lot more clarity on what we're doing now together than, than I could have imagined. And it caused us both to change a lot. Like my husband changed a lot. He, he's a lot more open and connected. Our marriage is a lot more open and connected than it was. And we were able to talk about things that we weren't, that we weren't talking about that. I kind of, I think maybe I'd kind of given up on talking about mm -hmm. that then suddenly became like things that I realized. And he realized we needed to like bring back up to the surface and reckon with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, I think that honestly, and this is where I, I mean, this is where kind of my work comes into play. I think one of the reasons why I'm passionate about my work as a coach is 
I've been through that and I've seen so many people go through this. Right. And a lot of relationships don't survive going through that, right. I think. Yeah. And I think the difference between, there's two things that I think make the difference between going through it and surviving and going through it and not surviving. And sometimes a relationship isn't meant to survive. Sometimes a relationship has run its course and it's time for it to end. Sometimes it hasn't. Um, but sometimes the difference is one of two things, either it's run its course and you've just uncovered all the reasons why you should have been broken up 10 years ago, or you didn't get the support and help you needed to work through it and Mm -hmm. really get the tools that you've just, you just haven't had and have been coasting along without, but now you really need to, to like work through this in a compassionate way. Right. Well, because the situation that you described is really like anybody, a lot, I should say anybody, a lot of people starting out in non-monogamy is kind of your, their worst nightmare, right? Like that's what people are scared of is something like that. One of you falling for somebody else crazily and then having to work through all of that stuff in your marriage and and face all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, so I... It's tough. I can't. Yeah, it's tough. And it's but I really appreciate you opening up and talking about it, because I think that it, you're you're demonstrating that, yes, this happened. This may be your worst fear. But hey, we worked through it and we're better off because of it. And I'm in a better situation now than I was. Be- yeah. And and it's hard to see that in the moment going through those things, but. Oh no. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that's your worst fear because I do think it is a lot of people's, like you said, it's a lot of people's worst fear. Well, I think their worst fear is that they'll just be abandoned, right? Right. That, right. that you'll well, meet yeah, somebody okay. better right. and you'll be right. abandoned. And that kind of all goes along with that, right? Like somebody, somebody's worst fear may be that, yeah, that your partner will meet somebody else and they'll leave me for them. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Either they'll leave you for them. I mean, I think like, I think honestly, my husband's worst fear, I mean, and not to speak for him, but like, I think that, that his worst fear, and this would be my worst fear too, is actually to, for someone to stay with me, but like be marginalized as a person, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's just my ball and chain. That's just my wife. That's just the person that I put up with who takes care of my kids. You know, I don't really like, you know, I mean, that's actually worse. I'd I'd rather be broken up than be that, you know, I mean- on one level. But I mean, but at the same time, I know tons of people who have something like that, who have a marriage that they have long since decided isn't romantic and sexual anymore. And they work out being like beautiful platonic co-parents together. Yep. And they're really good friends and they still travel together and have like wonderful, beautiful experiences together. It's just not romantic and sexual anymore. And they, they have that in outside relationships. And I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I don't think that your marital and parent co-parenting relationships have to be this like all in one package. I think it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be this great heartbreak if it isn't, but I do think it can be a great heartbreak if one of you doesn't want that. And the other one does, then it's, then it's devastating. It's like, you know, it's like being with your crush that rejected you every single day (laughs) and then watch them go off and be with other people. Like, that would be, I mean, that would be heart wrenching and I can't like, and, 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 and on some level, I think that that is like the scary, scary, big, bad, scary thing that you would worry about is like, I'm the one that they put up with so that they can have all these other more joyful, exciting things. Right. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and, um, yeah, I, I just, I wanted to mention that cause I think it's, it is a big 
fear of a lot of people. And mm-hmm. um, so thank you for talking through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to reckon with that that could happen. Right. Is the reality. Right. And exactly. Like, you have to reckon with that that could happen. And you should maybe even consider having conversations about what you would do if that would happen instead of just hoping that it doesn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. For sure. Yeah. One, one thing maybe working towards getting close to the end here was yeah. a, a question that is something that we've heard come up in, in past. And, and this is not ever to imply that you're like a, a frail, helpless woman who can't take care of herself. But, <laughs> but there are, we have had people reach out to us say like, I want to do this type of stuff, but it's, I don't feel safe going out and meeting mm. men or meeting other people mm-hmm. on my own. And like you, you went to like, I think when you said your Craigslist story, I'm sure there was people who were like Craigslist killer. Like right. that, that was like exactly what they thought. And, mm-hmm. but you navigated that multiple mm-hmm. times safely. And I guess like, how, how do you navigate this to keep yourself safe, both just physically safe and, and sexually mm-hmm. healthy and all of the, the things that are wrapped up in that bubble. Cause I think that's something that's important not to gloss over, especially, you know, as a, someone who's navigating this sometimes as a single woman? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm really glad you asked that. Um, my first answer when you said that was like, I'm just really bold and stupid. Maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't <laughs> like, I just assume I'm going to be fine. Um, but, but no, that's not really the answer. Cause that's not true. Um, I would say there are a couple of things that I would recommend. First of all, um, Lindsay Doe, who does this, um, YouTube series. Oh, what is it called now? Um, it's a sex, it's a sex YouTube series and it's a really good one. And I can't think of what it's called now. Why can't I think of it? But, um, anyway, Lindsay Doe, she does, um, a a YouTube series and she did a really, really good video on how to have a casual hookup with somebody like from the internet and be safe about it. And she went through this whole like step-by-step process of like how to do it and what to do. And I mean, like there are simple, basic things. Like if I was going to go on a date, I would make sure that somebody knew where I was you know, I, I, and it wouldn't be like a, you know, and I would make sure that I checked in and that, and that if I didn't check in, that there would be an assumption that like, maybe something's wrong and someone should check on me. Uh, in terms of like going to something like a play party and navigating that, uh, I think it's good to go with a buddy. I think it's especially, especially if you're, and whether you're a guy or a girl, honestly, I think it's good to go with a buddy, go with someone you can check in with. And, and cause I mean, men get sexually assaulted too. Men get put in sexually uncomfortable situations. So I think it's really good to have someone go with you and, you know, it doesn't have to be a poly person. It could be a person who is just cool with it all and who's okay with like just being your, your buddy. Uh, I would say also the biggest piece of advice that I have for anybody who's worried about safety is like, really listen to your body. Like really listen to your body because your body is really smart and your body is taking in information all the time subconsciously about whether you're safe or not. And if you feel some kind of dread, some kind of like clenching feeling when you're with somebody that's making, even if they're saying all the right things and doing all the right things, if there's some little something like hairs on the back of your neck, that's telling you this doesn't feel right, then say no and, and, and step back that'll usually give you a lot of information. If you do that, if you step back and create some space, if they don't respond well, I mean, I remember one time there was this person that I was making out with, and this was back in my twenties before I was like Polly. And this was a very normal, 
like normie kind of dude, but like we were making out and I was just like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to continue. I, I, this doesn't feel right to me. And he reacted so strongly. And so like, he just shut down and punished me and like made me feel bad for stopping things and saying no. And I was like, Oh, all right. <laughs> I have a lot more clarity about this situation. Yeah. I'm very glad. I'm like, you're making me more glad that I said no. Well, actually in my twenties, I felt terrible about it. And I felt like I shouldn't have said it. And I felt like shamed and all the stuff, but like the, the, the 40 year old me would have been like, Oh wow, you're off my list. Like I'm done with you. And I would say, you know, to people who, when you back off, when you set limits, when you set boundaries, if people respond badly to that, that's a huge red flag. And that's a good way you can kind of test things with people is creating some kind of boundary and then seeing how they respond to it. Like I remember later on when I was older, I was like making out with somebody and I said, so for this time together, this session together, I don't want anything. I don't want my underwear to come off. Like that's a hard rule for me. And the guy like seemed to do everything he could possibly do to try to get me to get my underwear off. And I didn't, and he didn't violate my consent. He was just trying to get me to drop my boundary. And I was like, oh, wow, no, that's, that's not sexy. Like right. what would have been really sexy would be for you to be like, you know, that's really cool that you have this boundary, you know? Yeah. And so I would say like a, a setting a boundary can be a really good test for whether somebody is a safe person who's going to respect you. Because if they're going to respect a basic boundary, like, I don't know, like, like, you know, like, I don't want to take my underwear off. Um, then when you're getting into like harder stuff or kinkier stuff or those kinds of things, you know, or if you're, then you know, you know, if they're going to respect those boundaries too, or if they're going to push you and try right. to, you know, so that's, that's probably, those are probably my best tips for being safe. Yeah. And, and even if it's not a real boundary, right? Like even if you were totally fine right. doing exactly. that, like mm-hmm. set it just to see what mm-hmm. is, is a test, right? Like you said, it's a, it's sort of a litmus test of... Right. And they respect boundaries. Right. And I mean, if, if you're, I mean, obviously with a one night stand, it's a little bit trickier if there's something in particular you really want to get out of that encounter. But even then it can still be a useful test to say for the next five minutes, I don't want to do this thing or, you know, and another thing that somebody has told me before in terms of keeping other people safe is asking a new potential partner or someone you want to interact with and say, how do you like to say no? Like, how do you like to communicate that to me? Do you communicate it non-verbally? Do you have a hard time with it? Um, are you very comfortable saying no? Um, do you get physically withdrawn? You know, like checking in on that kind of stuff and seeing like what, how somebody will communicate that to you. And I mean, obviously with STIs and stuff like that, I mean, I, at this point, like I just have the conversation and it's like, not like without batting an eyelash. And I really like read Mahalko's Safer, Safer Sex Elevator speech or The Stars. That's another good one. Yep. And because it's just like, it's real basic. Like, here's what's going on with me. Tell me what's going on with you. And again, if the person can't tell you what's going on with them in, without, you know, stuttering or getting embarrassed or uncomfortable or whatever, and you kind of, or, or they kind of hedge or whatever, then like that's, again, it's sort of a flag that they haven't dealt with what it means to talk about sexual health. And it doesn't mean you can't be with them, but it does mean that, that like you might, you might want to take extra precaution with them. Yep. You might want to be extra careful and you might want to educate them. You know, they might be someone you need to educate with before you take any risky or do any risky activities with them. Yeah. Right. It's not that it's not that they're doing it maliciously. They just may not know. Right. Exactly. They may never have right. been exposed to that. And right. so, that's but it's yeah. all part of having that conversation. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it just gives you, it just gives you information. Right. And, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I really like what you said about asking somebody how they may communicate and no, that's something that we haven't heard. Yeah. No, that, that, that was that, a really awesome way to put it. Yeah. That was well, perfect. I gotta give, I gotta give credit to that to my partner, um, my partner, Anna, that's, that's their, they, they taught me that, mm-hmm. um, they're like, they're excellent at a lot of the, the, like how to be safe in a new space. Like they're very good at that. Um, I, uh, I, I'll be honest, like I don't have a lot of casual interactions. Um, I've tried, it doesn't really work for me. Um, <laughs> even though like I, I, I outlined some casual interactions in my deep past, like it's not a thing I really do very much anymore. Um, although I'm not never, I never say never, right? Like <laughs> right, not you never know. that's like <laughs> off the table for me. Um, but I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of like, there's a lot about my sexuality that's kind of weird. So, <laughs> well, um, and, Craig, and Craigslist is gone now. In terms yeah, of- isn't that tragic? Craigslist, no more casual connections on Craigslist. I know. And you sesta fasta. I know. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I mean, unless, I guess, do you have anything else that you want to share with us? Any, you've, you've talked that you do the coaching and maybe best ways for people to reach you if they want oh, yeah. to get um, in touch. Well, so a couple things. I mean, so if my story resonated with you and this is something you've been through and you just want to talk about it, I'm, I'm here for that conversation. You know, like I, I would love to talk to more people for whom that has been their experience, especially if they've also come out on the other side of it. I mean, are you ever really on the other side of anything? I don't know, but, um, right. but I would love to talk to more people who have kind of faced that worst fear and like gone through it. That would be cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, if you are interested in knowing more about my work and my coaching, um, yeah, I have a Facebook page right now. I don't have a website, so you can find me at Libby Sindak on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you can also email me at Libby at Libby uh, if you want to be in touch. And I really welcome that. I love having conversations about this, all of this stuff. We didn't get to talk much about community. Um, and that's like a whole nother ball game, but it's yeah, we like, gonna I, circle back and then we, well, we, we kind of, I mean, that's you, okay. <laughs> you created, you created barbecues and you were, yeah, we talked a little bit about that's it. True. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. But if you are a person who likes to, who is an organizer in your local community, or you want to be an organizer in your local community, I would also welcome like a conversation about that. Cause I have a lot of thoughts a lot of thoughts about that too. Um, I've been involved with the community here in DC for, um, a while now, and it's been an up and down kind of road for me there. Like, um, being a, like being a person who just naturally organizes and, um, and what that means and like being what it means to be a leader and, and kind of in a leadership kind of role has been an interesting journey. So, um, I'm always desirous of connecting with more people who, who share that. So, yeah. yeah so Perfect. connect with me, email me, yeah connect with me on Facebook. Um, I've got some Facebook videos. Uh, I'm also potentially launching a podcast in the next couple of weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we will, we will keep people. I mean, well, first of all, we'll put links to everything Sweet. Um, in the show, in the notes, show yeah. notes. And if your podcast launches before this airs, which it may, we'll make sure that we mention in the intro or outro, uh, the name of it and give you links for that as well. So it will cool. not be, it will not be forgotten. Yes. So, and cool. thank thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah. yeah spending the, uh, some time talking to us because I think yeah. a lot of people will get a lot out of this. Awesome. Well, I mean, it's really been my pleasure. So thanks yeah. for thanks for being so nice to me on my first podcast. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, none of the questions were too difficult. So no, no they were good. good. 
Good. Perfect. Well, enjoy your morning and uh, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye, guys. Welcome back. We had an interesting time while we weren't recording. Oh, we're not going to go into that. <laughs> uh, thanks, Libby, for sharing your story with us. And I hope everyone got a lot out of it, even though Finn calls it the mama sode. I know it's more than that. Well, and everybody else does too. And, and also thank you for... All of the work you do in the community, uh, the non-monogamy, and just relationship coaching, it's awesome to have people like that out there doing good work. So thank you. Yes. And... Oh, one thing. Yeah. I don't know if you caught this. She mentioned that she has a, a workshop on how to break up with people. She does. We should really do something with that. We are. Oh, we are. So just a quick teaser, we are putting together some additional audio content and we may have mentioned this here and there before, but we are hoping to publish this content early next year. So stay tuned. One of the modules will be Libby talking about breakups. Transitioning relationships. Yes. Is a much kinder way. Whatever one way you want to talk about you it. You can say, I'm not breaking up with you. I'm transitioning our relationship into <laughs> one where I don't see you anymore. <laughs> anyway, stay tuned. We're really excited about this and can't wait to get it out there early 2020. And next week we have Jace from the Multi Amory Podcast. Yeah, Multi Amory Podcast. Yay! Yay. What? I'm excited. I see. He's cool. He is. And we... They all are, actually. No, I know. There's three of them that do the podcast. We have this first interview with Jace and... Maybe some others to follow. Yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay. We've been rambling a while. All right. We will see you next week for episode 99, and we will be three closer to 100. No? You're just not, not <laughs> killing it today, babe. I'm crushing. <laughs> I'm trying out some new material. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.